Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written back in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, reading there in the 18th chapter, the 15th verse. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of us are glad to be here in God's house at this hour, and I do hope that all of you feel at home here in the house of our God. As you have heard me say, today is the third Sunday in Advent. The word Advent refers to Jesus as the coming one, and the purpose of the Advent in the Christian church here is this. We are to use it to prepare ourselves for Christmas, for the birthday of Jesus. That is what we are doing in this season. We are doing it in this way. Each Sunday in the Advent season, we are asking ourselves the question, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? We are turning to the Word of God. We are asking various individuals who have written there by inspiration of God, what child is this? And you recall that on the first Sunday in Advent, we turned to the writer of the book of Hebrews, and we asked him, what child is this? And his answer was, this child is no less than the high priest over the house of God. And as your high priest, he is worthy, this writer tells us, worthy of your fidelity, worthy of your allegiance, and worthy of your loyalty. And then last Sunday, on the second Sunday in Advent, we came again, we asked the same question, what child is this whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? Who is this child? And we asked Simon Peter, the rock, the leader of the twelve, and we said, Simon Peter, what child is this? And you recall his answer. Why he told us on the basis of the word of God that this child is no less than the king of an everlasting, of an eternal kingdom. He is worthy of your loyalty, worthy of your fidelity, worthy of your love. And today on the third Sunday in Advent, we again say to ourselves, what child is this? We're getting ready to celebrate this child's birthday, the manger child of Bethlehem. What child is this? And today we're going back to the Old Testament. We're going to ask a man who lived 1,500 years before that night in Bethlehem. You may say to me, how in the world can somebody who lived 1,500 years before Bethlehem tell us what child this is? But that someone is Moses, and Moses prophesied, and he tells us this morning just what child this is and who this child is in telling and in speaking to the children of Israel in his day, think of it, 1,500 years before that first Christmas, he said, And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of the aces of thy brethren, like unto me. He's going to raise up a prophet like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And so when we ask Moses, who lived 1,500 years before Christmas, Moses, what child is this? And Moses says, don't you know why this child is no less, he says, than a prophet, a teacher, a preacher like me, worthy of your allegiance, 
worthy of your loyalty. We may say this morning, but Moses, uh, just because this child, you say, is a prophet like you are, that he's a teacher like you were, that he is a preacher like you, uh, does it follow, therefore, that that makes this child so wonderful as a prophet uh, that he is worthy of my allegiance and of my loyalty? And you and I may say, what am I going to get out of it if I surrender my life to this child as a prophet like unto Moses? What has he ever done for me? What's he doing for me now? Is it worthwhile? Is it to my advantage? Is it for my benefit that I would surrender my all to him just because this child, Moses says, is a prophet like him, that this child is a prophet like Moses? And yet you and I this morning as we're getting ready for Christmas, we can be assured by Moses of this. Moses said, this child, why, is no less than a prophet like I am. He is worthy of your fidelity and all because Moses would assure us that as our prophet like him, he's done everything for you and me. He has done everything. He has forgotten nothing. Everything for your welfare and mine and for your good and mine. This child, as a prophet like unto Moses, has done. You and I may say, what has this child as a prophet like Moses, what has he ever done for me? What's he doing for me now that he is worthy of my surrender and of my loyalty? In the first place, Moses would remind you and me of this, that this child is no less than a prophet like him, a prophet like Moses who came to this earth in order to be our mediator, to reconcile us again to God. You may say, what's so wonderful about this child being a prophet like Moses? Well, the wonderful thing is this, maybe you don't realize, but Moses was by far the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. You may say, well, there was Elijah, and there was Elisha. Was Moses greater than Elijah and Elisha and greater than Samuel? Was Moses greater as a prophet than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Hosea or Joel or Amos or Obadiah or Jonah or Micah and Nahum or Habakkuk or Zephaniah or Haggai or Zechariah Malchah? Yes, he was. He was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. You may say, why? What was there about Moses that he was the greatest prophet and that Jesus, this babe, is going to be a prophet like unto him? Moses was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament because he was the one prophet that was a mediator. He was the go-between. He was the representative of God to the children of Israel and the representative of the children of Israel to God. Remember at Mount Sinai when God spoke the Ten Commandments and the children of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai they got scared to death and they said to Moses oh don't let God speak to us directly anymore let God speak to you and then you tell us what he says and when we want to speak to God we'll talk to you and then you go to God and it pleased God and God made Moses therefore this prophet the great mediator the great go-between the intermediary and therefore Moses was God's representative to Israel and he was Israel's representative of God and in the same way Moses says this babe is no less he is no less than God's mediator. Oh, by far greater than Moses because this babe as the prophet like Moses, he became our mediator and he reconciled the entire human race back into a harmonious relationship with God. Go back to the Garden of Eden when our first parents sinned. They broke that harmony. When Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and did that which they knew was wrong, then again, man was out of harmony with God and man brought guilt upon himself and man brought the punishment of eternal death and hell on himself. And so man was out of fix with God because man had turned his back. And therefore there had to come someone who would be the great go-between, who would reconcile again the world to God. And in order to 
could do that, that mediator would have to take on himself the guilt and the punishment of the world. And that's what this babe did as a prophet like Moses. Moses couldn't do that because Moses was a sinner. But this child, as the great prophet like Moses, became the mediator. And that's why he went to the cross, because he took your guilt and mine. And he took the eternal punishment of your sin and mine and the eternal punishment of the sins of the world. And as the great mediator, he paid that bill in full. And therefore, he reconciled the world back to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And when he reconciled the world that was at an animosity and enmity of against God, therefore he brought deliverance from hell and eternal life. That's what this child, as a prophet like Moses, did. And I challenge you, what more could he have done than that? And therefore also he is so worthy of our loyalty that when he was here on earth, he taught men when he was here that he was the way to heaven, that faith in him really saves all men, and he proved it by his mighty deeds. He was a tremendous teacher. He was a prophet, the word of God says, mighty not only in word but in deed. When he was here on earth, what did he say? Up in the upper room, remember that night, when he said, I'm going away, he told the disciples, he said, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Remember Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. And then he says, Thomas, you've been with me so long and you don't know. And then he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus taught, he said, I am the way to heaven. I am the one, I am the great mediator. I am the one who reconciles the world in a harmonious relationship with my heavenly Father. Faith in me saves, and he absolutely proved it by his mighty deeds. He stilled the tempest. He again, he healed the leper. He changed water into wine. He healed the sick and the maimed and the halt and the blind. He caused men to be raised from the dead, and he raised himself from the dead. Therefore, assuring you and me that when he was here on earth, oh, he's worthy of our surrender. He is the way to heaven, and a childlike faith in him, as this great prophet like unto Moses brings eternal salvation. You and I ought to say this morning, what could he have done more for you and me than what he did when he came to this earth in order to be a prophet like unto Moses, the great mediator. Moses, the greatest of the Old Testament, Jesus superior to him. And that's why as we're getting ready for Christmas this morning, we ought to say, I believe this, that again, this child is no less than a prophet like unto Moses, like Moses, a mediator, far greater than Moses. And when you and I believe, then we ought to thank him that he came as the mediator and that he is a mediator that can do something that Moses couldn't. Go back to Mount Sinai when Moses became the mediator. After God spoke, God had Moses come up into the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments, you remember it again, written on tablets of stone. But Mount Sinai never had a way to heaven. It never had a road to heaven. Moses was the great mediator of the law. He was the great lawgiver. But again, there was no salvation there. There's never been a road to heaven at Mount Sinai. The only road to heaven has been at Calvary. And when you and I can thank him for that, then we're getting ready for Christmas because we'll say this to ourselves, Christmas was an absolute necessity. Had this child as a prophet like unto Moses, had he not come, there would be no hope for you and me. There would be no eternal life. There would be no everlasting salvation. We would say Christmas was an absolute necessity. And then we're ready when we can say, this isn't just something nice to look forward to. This is something that had to be if there was to be life and salvation. And then we're ready for Christmas because we aren't going to base our hope of eternal life on any righteousness within ourselves. But we're going to know that had it not been for that babe, 
as the great prophet like unto Moses, there would be no eternal life for you and me. And so we're getting ready for Christmas, and we say, Moses, you lived 1,500 years before Christmas, but what child is this? And Moses says, don't you know? Moses in prophecy says, why, this child, he is no less than a prophet like I am. He is a prophet like unto me. He is a prophet. He is a teacher. He is a preacher like I am. And Moses says, he's worthy of your loyalty. And you and I may say, well, what's he doing for me now? Moses would remind you and me in the second place that this child is no less than a prophet like him who returned to heaven and who there in heaven as the prophet and as our teacher and as the teacher, he provided the written word for us and he still preserves it. You realize that when Jesus left and went back to heaven as the great teacher, that he left no written record? There is no record that he ever wrote anything. There was nothing. All that he had done in the three years he had taught the twelve what he wanted them to know. And then he went back to heaven. Supposing we had never gotten a written record of him, how soon would it have been that all knowledge of this Jesus, this great teacher who came and reconciled the world to God, who came to bring life and salvation, that this knowledge would have been lost? He went back to heaven. You and I say, what did he do for you and me? Why, by the end of the first century, he had sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had breathed into men his own spirit and had caused men to write down what Jesus wanted as a permanent record of him as the great prophet. And by the end of the first century, do you realize this? Paul says all scripture was given by inspiration of God in a way in which you and I don't understand. This Jesus, our great prophet, sent his Holy Spirit who came into the hearts of men and moved them to write and superintended their writing. Watch their words so that what they wrote was the word of God. Oh, not in the order in which they are in our New Testament. Think for the end of the first. Here we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four men who were inspired of the Holy Spirit to give us a written record of the life of Jesus Christ, this great prophet, and the story of, again, the gospel that he came into the world and how he saved the world. And then look at other writers. Here we have, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's Acts, written by Dr. Luke himself. And then the letters, mostly of Paul. We have the letter to the congregation at Rome, superintended by the Holy Spirit, written. Two letters to the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Two to the Thessalonians living over there in Greece. And two letters to Timothy and then to Titus and Philemon and Hebrews and James and First and Second Peter and First and Second, Third John and Jude and Revelation. Again, James, the brother of Jesus, and Jude wrote by inspiration. And there was Paul and the writer of the book of Hebrews. And we say to ourselves, what again? By the end of the first century, do you realize that Jesus had given us a written record. The early church said these books must be written by individuals who are well known in the church and they were by individuals who had seen the risen Christ or who were intimate with those who did see him and these records had to be accepted by the believers of the first century. We got our canon, these 27 books of the New Testament. You say, what has he done? And I wonder if we realize what that means to us today that in our 20th century we have never seen a century like we are seeing today in that word of God becoming alive. I read from the King James Version, which I know most of us grew up on. This is the translation of 1611. But think of in the 20th century, there came the Revised Standard Version, putting it in 20th century English. And think of what we have in our day. There came translated J.B. Phillips, an Englishman, an Episcopalian, who translated the New Testament into 20th century English so we can understand it. Again, the Holy Spirit is working, giving us the Word of God that we can't say we don't understand. There's Dr. 
extraordinarily by who is that St. Olaf, one of our Lutheran schools, who has translated the New Testament for high school students. It may interest you to know that the gospel and the epistle lesson that I'm reading on Sunday is taken from Norley's translation. I give you a little of both. Here's King James, you love it. And over here again, a modern translation. Here is Dr. Norley's. You can understand it. You notice there's a difference. We've never seen a century like this. And then again, the American Bible Society, good news for modern man, reads like the Marian Star today, alive. You can read it again. This is something alive. And then we say, why, here is the New English translation, the New English Bible. The New Testament came out, and here just lately, within the last several months, they finished the Old Testament. It's a beautiful translation. I would regard it as next to the King James. And again, it's beauty of expressions. Call the New English Bible it's complete. Put out by English divines, it's beautiful. If you want a Christmas present, I'm not selling books, but it's a beautiful translation. 20th century English, there's, got, there's a reverence about it. The New Jerusalem Bible, put out by Roman Catholic scholars. Very fine translation in conjunction with Hebrew scholars for the Old Testament and Protestant scholars in the New. We are seeing from the Dr. Beck of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, his American translation. We've never seen the likes of this. You and I say, what is Jesus the great teacher doing? There isn't any one of you or of me today. There isn't any man that can say, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. Let me tell you there are translations today. If you can read, you can understand the scriptures. This is this prophet. And therefore, again, he is worthy of our loyalty because... It's, again, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, that he's brought you and me to faith in him. Isn't that right? And that he keeps you and me. Look at what's happened in infant baptism. We were brought to a living faith in him. You and I have heard the Word of God. We've come to repentance and faith in him. And, oh, what comfort we have, the assurance even today in the Lord's Supper, that the Word of God assures us that by means of lowly bread and wine, Jesus gives us his body and his blood, the very sacrifice that he made that opened up heaven for the world, that you and I can stand at his altar this morning and say, I have just got in his body and blood the sacrifice that opened up heaven if I'm not saved nobody's saved that you and I may see the times and I say I don't feel like I'm saved and then we say to ourselves let my feelings go hang I may not feel like I'm saved but I know I'm saved I got his body and blood by means of bread and wine and because I have that body and blood I know that I'm saved how could I be lost unless I'm a hypocrite unless I have come in a dishonest way. You say, what's he done for you and me? Listen, we ought to say to ourselves in this morning as we're getting ready for Christmas, well, say, I'm going to believe this, that this child is no less, why he's no less than a prophet like Moses, tremendous, and he's worthy of him, therefore we ought to determine never to reject him, or to reject him as a tremendous tragedy. Look what happened when Israel rejected Moses. Did you ever realize that was bad enough? What happened when the children of Israel rejected Moses? as their prophet and as, again, their mediator. You may wonder, why did they wander in the wilderness 40 years? You know, that was absolutely uncalled for. There was no reason in God's world why the children of Israel had to wander 40 years in the wilderness. They stayed at Mount Sinai for about a year, and then they wandered, and then the second year, they came to Kadesh Barnea on the southern tip of the land of Canaan. 
Everything was ready for them to go in. Don't you remember that Moses said, we're going to send spies in the land. He sent 12 spies, one from each tribe, two of them, Joshua and Caleb. He said, go into the land of Canaan, look it over. And they were gone for 40 days. Don't you remember they came back and all 12 of them said, oh, the land flows with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. And they brought back a cluster of grapes. Remember that? It was so big that they put a pole through it and men carried it on their shoulders. Look, they said, oh, the land flows with abundance. And then ten of the spies that came back, they said, but oh, they've got walled cities and it's a tremendous barricaded affair and the men are like giants and we feel like grasshoppers. They had a grasshopper complex. We can't go in. They said, oh, we can't go in and take the land. But Joshua and Caleb, they said, listen, God said this is our land. We're going in. But the ten said, oh, no, our children will be murdered and massacred. And they rebelled and Moses says, God says we can go in now. And they said, no. Our children will be massacred. And then Moses said, you're rejecting me as the great mediator. And he says, all right, your children will get to go in, but you won't. Every one of you of the age of 20 and over, except Joshua and Caleb, are going to die in the wilderness. Start wondering. 38 more years. Think of it. Because they rejected Moses as the mediator. 38 more years wandering aimlessly, endlessly, till every man 20 years of age and over was dead and his carcass lay in the wilderness and the children got in. If it was a tragedy when they rejected Moses, the great mediator, prayed God, what a tragedy in your life and mine when we reject this Jesus, a prophet greater than Moses. Oh, you know, it's the mystery of the age. Why does a man reject Jesus Christ? I know people who are dying of cancer who take every concoction that anybody tells them about. The more weird, the more strange, the more they take it and they travel any place and they take it. But isn't it a strange thing when you get up and you tell a man, here is eternal life in Jesus Christ who has given us his word and preserved it. Men say, no, 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 no. As a minister, the hardest job in the world is to sell Jesus Christ. I don't care what you sell. Mine's the hardest thing in the world. The depravity of a human heart. No, no, no. If the children of Israel had to wander another 38 years in the wilderness and their carcasses died, and pray God, what must it mean when we are inexcusable in the sight of God and we reject Jesus Christ? Oh, only when we realize what a tragedy it is to reject him. Are we ready for Christmas? Moses says, you want to know who this child is? Why, he says, this child is no less than a prophet like I am. He is a prize worthy of your love and he's worthy of your loyalty. He's done everything. Why? Because Moses reminds you and me also that this child, who is no less than, again, a prophet like him, is going to come back to this earth and he's going to judge all men on the basis of his truth. Sometimes you and I may worry and say, well, I put all my eggs in one basket and I put my faith in him. And when he comes back, he who is the Advent Christ, who is the prophet who says, I'm coming back, when he comes back and he's going to judge the world, will it be on the basis of what he taught when he was here on earth? Will it be on the basis of faith in him that I have repented of my sins? Is he the way? You and I may say, well, when he comes and he's going to talk about feeding the hungry and giving a glass of water to the thirsty man and clothes to this man, uh, what about? Is it going to be something else? And you and I can rest assured that that teacher taught when he was here on earth that it's going to be faith in him because of faith that's alive and that's a living faith. It's going to show itself in mercy and in kindness and in consideration for our fellow man. If it doesn't, it's a faith that's deader than a doornail. 
He's going to assure you and me of that, and when he comes again, he's going to also vindicate us who have put our faith and our trust in him. The world laughs today, doesn't it? Imagine, Christians, just stake your life on a babe like this because you say that he's a prophet like unto Moses. You're going to give your all. You're going to surrender to him. Listen, when he comes again, he will vindicate everyone who has put his faith in him because he tells us that on that day when he comes back, and he raises up the dead that every knee is going to bow to him. He's coming out on top. He's going to be the tremendous victor and every knee of every man, every enemy, every man that is spit in his face is going to bow the knee and going to acknowledge him, but it's going to be too late. And on that day of vindication, well, that's why he is worthy because when he comes again, this great Advent prophet, Every knee is going to bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Don't forget that. A tremendous justification day of indication. And therefore, as we're getting ready for Christmas, we ought to say this to ourselves, that I'm going to, again, I'm going to surrender to him. I, I will give him my life gladly and willingly, even as Moses did. We may say, how was Moses saved? Why, Moses, again, was a sinner, and he knew it. Was he saved? Say, wasn't Moses a great sinner? He was. Finally, at the age of 120, he came, you know, at the end of the 40-year period. He came there to the plains of Moab, and there was Mount Pisgah, and there was the River Jordan. And God had told him, Moses, you're not going to cross the Jordan. Oh, how he wanted, it was a disappointment of that man's life, how he wanted to lead them, after having led them for 40 years, to lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. But you see, one day when the children of Israel were murmuring because they didn't have water, and God told Moses, speak to the rock, Moses had a hot temper, you know, and he took his rod and he beat the rock, and he beat it, and he became angry, and God said, with a show of temper like that, Moses, you're not going to go in. So you see, there he stood on Mount Pisgah, and I stood there and reenacted it. And God told Moses, you can't cross the drama, let you see it. You look to the west, to the Mediterranean, and to the north, and to the south, that land flowing with milk and honey. And then he died there, and God buried him. See, he lost his temper. He was a sinner. You say, was he saved? But 1,500 years later, there was another mountain experience on Mount Tabor up in Galilee. And there was this child, this, again, great prophet on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that night when the glory used out of his body? And lo and behold, there was Moses and Elijah. And there was Moses, the great mediator of the old covenant. And he was glowing and glistening, and glory was oozing out of his body. Moses, oh, he was disappointed. He didn't get to go across the Jordan, but he was saved through his faith and loyalty in this prophet who was like him. You and I are ready for Christmas when we may say, we may not be alive for Christmas, oh, it's coming. Not all of us to whom I'm speaking, or even including myself, none of us knows, are we going to be here for Christmas? We may say, oh, I'd love to be alive and celebrate another Christmas, another birthday to be with my loved ones and to be with my friends. But there may come that disappointment. You see, death can come. You and I may not be here. Moses was disappointed. He didn't go, get to go in to the promised land and to cross the Jordan. But even if, again, in the providence of God, you and I should not be alive, when we have surrendered, we can still look and we can say, but Christmas is coming, and we can have joy and real peace within our hearts, 
in this great uh, prophet and this great teacher and this great preacher that came like Moses on that tremendous holy night. We can look forward to it, can't we? And that joy of that holy night can be ours. Here in church, we are reminded of it every Sunday, aren't we? Here are the three matchless, beautiful windows. You look to this one on the right, here on your right, and this is the one where Moses would say, do you want to know who this child is? This is no less than a prophet like unto me. That's the first one. The one in the center we've talked about, this is the one that the writer of Hebrews says, don't you know who this child is? This is the great high priest over the house of God. And the one over there, Peter, the great rock, says, don't you know who he is? He is no less than the king of an everlasting kingdom. We can look forward in anticipation, even though we may not be here for his birthday, and say, oh, the joy of that holy night can still live within our hearts, and we can sing it even in advance. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth, and we can gather ahead of time, and we can look down and say, Oh, this is the night when Christ was born. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels shouting. Oh, night divine. Oh, holy night. The night when Christ was born. We may not be here, but we can still look forward. And that joy can be in our hearts. My prophet, the prophet again who came and opened up heaven, Oh, what a holy night. May you and I look forward in anticipation, say, the night when Christ was born, when he lives in you and me this morning, that's going to be a very Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.